Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, sometimes we read in a newspaper or in a magazine or hear a program on the radio or TV about people who have had close brushes with death. They will tell you that they were pronounced dead at a certain point by a medical doctor, only to be revived again a few moments later. And then they will tell you what went on during that time. Some tell stories about the great feeling of peace they had during those precious moments before they were revived by the medical staff in attendance. There are those who will even tell you about seeing angels in white with transparent wings ministering to them and leading them towards a great and beautiful gate through which they are to enter. Some say that they enjoyed that experience so much that they were angry afterwards about being revived. They wanted to continue to experience that blissful peace which enveloped them. What are we to think of that? Could it be true? Or do we just shrug it off? Well, the Lord's Day of this afternoon also deals with what happens after we die. But the Catechism gives us an answer based on the Bible and not on personal experiences. And so let's see what the Lord God himself, the giver of eternal life, has to say about this. Summarized this sermon and the following theme, we confess the joy and comfort of eternal life. In the first place, we confess it now. In the second place, in the life hereafter. So we confess the joy and comfort of eternal life now. That's also what a catechism says, namely that now already I feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. When the catechism says this, it is not speaking about the time when we die. No, it says that eternal life has already begun in this life. If we do not have eternal life in this life, we will not have it either after we die. People who do not have a beginning of eternal joy in this life are strangers to the concept of eternal life. The Apostle Paul knew what eternal life was all about. He believed, and for that reason had a foretaste of what heaven is like. And he even had a taste of that in a most extraordinary way. In 2 Corinthians 12, he recounts an amazing near-death experience when he was caught up to the third heaven, referring to paradise. And he heard things that cannot be told and which man may not utter. As was often done in those days when telling a story about yourself, he uses the third person, speaking about a man in Christ to whom that happened. And so, as most commentators agree, he is writing about something that happened to himself personally. He had seen things and heard things that are quite out of the ordinary. 
For some reason, God wanted him to experience that. But Paul did not want to boast about it, as if he was more worthy than others. No, Paul wanted to exalt God, for he knew that he is the author of life, and that without him, you are dead, even though you are physically alive. And that's also what Paul writes about in his letter to the Ephesians. In chapter 4, he reminds the readers of their lives before they were Christians. He tells them what such a heathen existence was about. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And in chapter 4, verse 17 and following, that as Gentiles they walked in the futility of their minds and that they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. These are strong words, aren't they? The fact of the matter is that anyone, no matter how smart he or she may be, no matter how rich or powerful he or she is, and who does not begin with the knowledge of God, does nothing more than just grope around in the dark. For all intents and purposes, they're dead, even though they are living and breathing. And a dead person cannot understand anything. His or her eyes and his ears have stopped functioning. But what does Paul say about these same people who before were called Gentiles, full of ignorance, and who now have turned their hearts to God? He says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, they're no longer dead. They're wonderfully alive. Now, what made such a change in these Gentiles that they passed from death to life? Well, they listened to the preaching of Paul, and they took it to heart. They became believers. The Holy Spirit grabbed hold of them and dwelt in them and gave them faith and made them into new creatures. The scales that covered their eyes and the plugs that were in their ears and the heart of stone that beat in their chests because of their sinfulness were changed into live organs. Their whole being was renewed. They passed from the dead to the living. And that's also what that chapter in Ezekiel was all about. There we see that the prophet Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy to the dry bones. To prophesy means to speak God's word. It is by the proclamation of his word that people are made alive. Only a true believer has the breath of life. All others are dead in their trespasses and sins. Yet, you see, some people think that eternity does not begin until after we die. They think that now we are ready 
that now we have our earthly life, which is nothing more than a constant death, but at least since we are Christians, we do have something to look forward to, eternal joy. After this life, the true joy will start. And they could even quote scripture in support of their position. And one of the scripture passages that the Catechism refers to in speaking about the joy is from 2 Corinthians 5. There we read in verse 2 and 3, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And in verse 6 we read, we read, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So how do we respond? Is this life nothing more but sin and misery, in which we only have eternal life to look forward to? Well, brothers and sisters, there are other scripture passages which speak about our life here on earth. Listen to what it says in John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. And in John 6, verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And also John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so do you see what a difference faith makes? Faith makes you alive. Faith makes you eternally alive, now already, while you are still here on this earth. As soon as you believe, you have eternal life. And also listen to what the Catechism says in the explanation of the fourth commandment. It speaks there about the eternal Sabbath. It says there that all the days of my life I may rest for my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath, the eternal rest. So what does that all mean? Well, that means that if we really want to experience eternal life here and now already, then we must already in this life, by living a life of faith, it may well be that some of those who had near-death experiences, that they are telling the truth. We don't know. That's between them and God. But that can only happen to those who had the beginning of eternal life in this life and who also showed that in their lives. For without works, faith is dead. The important thing is that we experience eternal life right now while we are wide awake. And so how do we taste eternal joy and blessedness already in this life? Well, brothers and sisters, consider how blessed, compared to those who do not believe, how blessed you and I are to be called children of God. As a child of God, you know and believe and trust that God watches over your life from the cradle to the grave into eternity. You know that nothing can separate you from God's love, not even death. As David says in Psalm 4, verse 7 and 8, 
You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's the joy that David had and that you and I may have. It is a joy that resides in the heart. It is not a joy of outward appearance only, but it is a joy that you possess. It is something, it is not something that satisfies your physical cravings for the moment, but a joy that penetrates the inner recesses of your soul. It is a joy that gives you peace. And it is a joy that only a Christian believer can experience. Isaiah says in chapter 65, verse 14, Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart. But you, he says to the unbelievers, you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wait and shall wail for breaking of spirit. The kind of joy that the Holy Spirit works in your and my heart is not something that you can manufacture. It's not something you can produce for yourself. No, it is a magnificent work of grace by the Holy Spirit. And it is not something that you can earn either, but something you receive when you live close to God and trust in Him. It is a joy of knowing that you are reconciled to God in spite of your sins. And then that is God's doing and not our own. You receive God's goodness and love in spite of who you and I are because of our sins. And that joy is also shown in the way that we conduct ourselves. We have such a gracious and wonderful God that we stand in awe of him and want to please him. For those that do keep his commandments, it is indeed a joy to do that. For the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So if you strive every day to be obedient, as the Lord has commanded you and me, then he will also bless you. For then you will not fall into the same sins as the people around you, Now, you will not end up in disastrous relationships as the people of the world do. Now, you will not end up as a drug addict or an alcoholic. And then no matter what happens to you, you will be at peace, knowing that you're a child of God. And then you know that even though you may fall into those sins and go on the wrong track, that God calls you out of that life, and he will renew your spirit. He will renew you so that you can have eternal life. It is for all of us, no matter what our sin is. We're sure evil is still around us. It's also in our hearts. Even though we do our utmost to keep God's commandments, we nevertheless sin all the time. But remember what it says in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 21, question and answer 56 says that if you walk by faith, then God will forgive us our sins, and not only our sins, but also 
our sinful nature against which we have to struggle every day. And also that he will graciously grant us the righteousness of Christ so that we may never come into condemnation. So what then is eternal life? Well, it is this, that we have peace with God now already. Not something we have to wait for. And yet, it is true that something wonderful is waiting for us. Second point. Question and answer 57 asks, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? And the beautiful answer is that not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh raised by the power of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How are we to understand this? For Let's face it, this is not something easy for us to comprehend. When we bury a loved one, we see that his or her body goes into the grave. The body is dead and will turn to dust. We no longer have a physical relationship with that body. And yet we also say that eternal life has begun already in this life, also for the person who has been put into the grave that we continue to live. Well, brothers and sisters, that mystery is indeed a profound one. And yet, it's so simple. A lot of people have all kinds of ideas as to how we exist after death. The Greeks did so as well. They spoke in a dualistic fashion about body and soul. They said that the body belongs to the material world and that the material world is evil. That is where the body goes. That is why the body goes into the grave. So there, so that there it can decay and turn to dust to which it came. But they say that the soul belongs to the spiritual world. And if you led a good life, your soul will go back into the spiritual world from which it came. These are old ideas. They're around already before Christ came to earth. And a lot of people have hung on to those Greek ideas, even in this modern age. You may say, well, what exactly is wrong with that? Do the scriptures not also speak about body and soul, and that the body will return to the dust, and that the soul will go to heaven? Yes, brothers and sisters, that is indeed true. The scriptures also speak about these things, as does our catechism. But the catechism also knows something else. You all know the answer to this, the, Lord, the first Lord's Day, which asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the wonderful biblical answer is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see here that we are not only speaking about the soul, but also the body. Both belong to Christ in this life and in the life to come. In that sense, the scriptures do not speak in the same dualistic fashion as the Greeks did, and as many people continue to do. No, 
the Lord redeems both body and soul. And that is why we also read about the resurrection of the body and the resurrection of the body of Christ as the first fruit. Christ also went to the grave. He did so after having suffered terribly, both bodily and spiritually. Spiritually, His body was severely beaten, and in the end, his body was nailed to the cross. Nails were driven through his hands, and after he had died, a spear was thrust into his side, and he was laid in the grave. But that was not the end. On the contrary, it set the stage for his great victory over death. For after three, day, after three days, he rose again from the dead. His body was renewed, and he continues to exist in the body. Why is that? Well, he continues to exist in a physical state so that we may know that that same fate also awaits us. We too may be assured of the resurrection of our bodies and that our soul will be reunited with our bodies. A lot of people think that we will be like angels after we die. We will be like them, ministering spirits, spirits, Forever, which have no bodies at all. That is also what the Sadducees thought. They did not believe in the resurrection. And so they tried to trick the Lord Jesus. Jesus did agree with them that the angels are, in a certain respect, like us after we go to heaven. But not in the way that they envisaged it. For if you read what it says in Matthew 22, then you will note that the topic is about is, is the topic of discussion is marriage. And the Lord Jesus makes it clear to them that in the life hereafter, there is no longer such thing as marriage. Only in that respect will they be like the angels. Angels do not marry either. But throughout scripture, he makes it abundantly clear that the believer may look forward to the resurrection of the body. Brothers and sisters, we belong both body and soul to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The body is not just something which we discard, not something we burn either. No, we lovingly place it in a grave, like a seed from which a renewed body will arise. For both the body as well as the soul will need to be renewed. But what about the fact then that our soul first goes to heaven? Well, in this respect, we again must only speak the words of the scriptures. We do not know exactly how we will continue to exist until the final day of judgment when the Lord will come again to raise our bodies from the grave. But we do know that eternal life, which has begun in this life, will not be interrupted not for a moment, not for a split second. We may be sure that as soon as we draw our last breath, that as soon as we close our eyes for the last time, that then our eyes will be opened at the other end of the grave and that we will be with Christ in his heavenly glory. That's also what the Lord Jesus promised to the murderer on the cross. He said to him, 
Today, you will be with me in paradise. The Lord left him, no doubt. And he leaves us, no doubt, either. We, too, may have that great comfort. We may enjoy the great comfort and joy of the knowledge of eternal life. Then we should not come with our own ideas or listen to people who supposedly have already been there. No, Lazarus was also raised from the dead. He had been in the grave for quite a while, for his body had already started to decay. But after the Lord Jesus raised him from the dead, he also erased any memory that he may have had about his life after death. The Lord wanted that final state of bliss to remain a surprise to him. And a surprise it will be also for you and me, a wonderful surprise, brothers and sisters. And so indeed, we have something great to look forward to. In the words of the Catechism, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Nobody in this life knows exactly what a great and wonderful experience awaits us. All we know is that we will be reunited with our loved ones who died in the Lord, and that we will live here on this earth with perfect bodies and perfect souls. We will have a physical body totally dominated by God's Holy Spirit. But there will come a time when our knowledge will be complete. What a great day that will be. And what a wonderful and glorious thing to look forward to. But in the meantime, we may know that we are at peace with God now. And that he lovingly is preparing a place for us. We don't have to fear death. No, we can live today in the knowledge that we are God's children now and forever, no matter what happens. God is with us. Brothers and sisters, as long as you believe, you may live in the comfort and joy of eternal life, already in this life and in the life to come. Amen.